doesn't want you to succeed as a Christian. He wants, he's going to fight you in everything that you try to do for the cause of Jesus Christ. He's our avowed enemy, and he wants to destroy this church in your life. This is, the devil's not just some pesky little fellow that picks at us from time to time, you know? Every one of us had that kid in school that was with us, right? That every time he came around, you're like, oh, him again, right? He's just this pesky little, he just, he just you know, pecks at you like a, like a chicken or something, you know? And you just, I wish he would just go away. A lot of us have that view of the devil. He's just this pesky little guy that likes to come in there and, and tempt us from time to time. And boy, if he would just go away, life would be a lot easier. No, the devil wants to destroy your life. Turn over to 2 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 5. I know you know this verse, but I want you to see it. See, the devil doesn't come dressed in a, in, in a pointy horns and a, and a red cape with his pitchfork in his hand and, you know, uh, you know comes at us as some you know, Halloween dressed up thing. No, he comes as everything that you have ever wished for. The devil's specialty is giving you exactly what you want. That's how he gets you to fall for the things that he gets you to fall for. Because there are things that your flesh wants. And he's going to give you all of those things. But make no mistake, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You would never go jump in a lion cage at the zoo, would you? You'd never go jump out of the, the truck on an African safari and just go try to pet the lions. You wouldn't do it because you're smarter than that. And yet we do that with Satan. We get as close to him as we possibly can. We get as close to that line as we can. We, we get as close to the temptation as we can, and we dare the devil to destroy our lives. That's exactly what he's going to do. That's exactly what he wants to do. And when we give him those opportunities, he's going to take the opportunities. He is a roaring lion that is seeking whom he may mess with, seeking whom he may tempt a little bit, seeking whom he may be pesky to. No, seeking whom he may devour. That's what the devil wants to do to your life. Part of being a Christian is fighting the devil and his temptations to make us quit on God. You know Walter Payton, one of the greatest running backs that's ever lived, but he had accumulated in his career, and, and actually during a game uh, one night, one of the announcers observed that this is one of the greatest running backs that ever lived. If you add up all the, the yards that he's gained on the football field, he's run over nine miles. He's gained over nine miles worth of yards on the football field. And the other announcer said, yeah, and that's with getting knocked down every 4.6 yards. That's I mean, that, that, and, and, and the thing that made Walter Payton great is that every 4.6 yards, he got up and he went and did it again. And he got up and he went and did it again. He got up and he went and did it again, right? And that's what makes us stand out in the Christian life. We're going to get knocked down from time to time. The devil is going to get us from time to time. And we ought to be doing everything we can to fight it. Well, I'm, I'm going to get knocked down, so it's just a matter of time before it happens. It doesn't have to happen. Right? If Walter Payton was, you know, the greatest thing that ever lived, he could jump over everybody and run around everybody. He wouldn't get knocked down every 4.6 yards, right? But it's going to happen in our Christian life. We are humans. Yeah, we're, we're Christians, but that doesn't mean we're sinless. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall down. We're going to get knocked down. But what we have to do is keep getting back up and keep getting back up and keep getting back up and keep going forward for God. Because if the devil can keep us down, then he won. If the devil can keep us on the ground, then he won. And we're going to be nothing for the cause of Jesus Christ. If the devil can make you quit and give up, then you're no longer useful for God. If he can get you to throw in the towel and say it's too hard, then he's won the battle. And make no mistake, the Christian life is a battle. It's a spiritual battle, but it's a battle. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Boy, I've, I've loved these verses since the first time I read them. And I'm telling you what, if we could get a hold of what these verses say, it would change us as Christians. 
The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's the key. Have you ever done something without thinking about it first? Oh, you might say, yeah, I do stuff without thinking all the time. But that's not true. You cannot do something without thinking about it first. It might be for only a split second, but you think about it before you do it. And if every imagination, every thought was subject to the obedience of Christ, then our actions would naturally follow, and we would never do anything that went against the obedience of Christ. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Well, I just, I want my actions to be right. Absolutely. Of course, that's what we want to do. But there's a lot of people who have gotten good at playing Christian. They know how to act right, but they're not right in their heart. If every thought was right, if every thought was in subjection to the obedience of Christ, then every action would follow and it would be coming not because we're trying to impress people. It would be coming because it's genuinely inside. And if we could learn to bring every thought under the obedience of Jesus Christ, then we would never sin again. Problem is, we don't always do that. We'll never be able to do that perfectly. But the devil wants to destroy our lives, and this is it. The secret to winning that battle is bringing every thought to the obedience of Christ. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Why does God give us that motivation? Because he wants us to persevere. He wants us to push through. Now, it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not we end up in heaven. Well, I persevered to the end, so I get to go to heaven. No, well, that doesn't have anything to do with it. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the determining factor. But he does want us to persevere as Christians. He does want us to live for him. He does want us to keep getting up and keep moving forward. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 12, Paul says this, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's how we ought to be living our lives as Christians. Pressing toward that mark, keeping our eyes on the goal. There was a girl named Wilma. Didn't get much of a head start in life. She was 20th out of 22 kids. And when she was just a young girl at about the age of four, she had a bout with polio in her left leg. It left her leg crooked and her foot was all twisted in and everything else. The doctor said that she would never walk normally again. But she wasn't willing to give up. And so she... Went, she wore braces on her leg for quite a while, but at the age of 12 years old, she had finally learned how to walk. She did some therapy, and she was just determined that she was not going to let this define her, that this was not going to be how she was going to be for the rest of her life. And so by the time she was 12 years old, she actually tried out for the girls' basketball team at her school. And there happened to be a, a college coach that was there that day for whatever reason, and he saw how she played and how she ran and everything else, and he convinced her at the age of 14 to try out for the track team, and she did. And she outran not only everybody in her high school, but she even went to the college where this college coach was a, where this coach was uh, the the coach the college that he coached at, and she outran all the college students as well. And so he he worked it out, got her actually to the point where in the 1956 she was able to go run in the Olympics for the United States, but she did a horrible job. 
She came in almost dead last in the 1956 Olympics, and she used that as motivation to determine, uh, to, to, to strengthen her determination that she was going to have a better showing in the 1960 Olympics, and she did. In the 1960 Olympics in Rome, Wilma Rudolph won three gold medals, which at that time was the most that a woman had ever won in the Olympics. You know, the temptation is for us to ask for things to be easier so that, oh, if the Christian life just wasn't so difficult, then I could be better at it. If the Christian life just wasn't so hard, if God didn't make it so difficult on me to try to be a good Christian, then I certainly, I certainly could do a whole lot better at it. I'm telling you this, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take determination, but it's going to take more than just determination. There's a lot of people who sin and sin and sin, and then they say, you know what? I'm done. I'm determined. I'm not going to do this anymore. And that determination might last them two, three, four weeks, two, three, four months, two, three, four years. But before too long, they're right back at it. I, 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 I ran a call out last night for a DOA for a young, a 23-year-old guy who had overdosed on drugs. He had been clean for a month. And everybody thought he was doing so great, and he was. He, he was clean for a month, and then he went back to it. I don't know, what the, I don't know the, the, the factors that were involved in that young man's life or whatever else, but I can guarantee you that for those four weeks, that one month that he was clean, he had that determination that he was going to do right, and then that one moment of weakness, he fell right back into what he did. And I can guarantee you that when he shot up that night, last night, he would never thought that that was going to be his last moment on this earth. I can tell you this. That's exactly what the devil is going to do to us. We might have this determination. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do what's right. But the problem is we're trying to do so much of it in our own strength. Right. Problem is we're trying to do it. I'm just determined. I'm, I'm not going to sin. And if we're trying to do it in our own strength, eventually we are going to go back to it. And it's going to affect us probably even harder than it did when we were involved in it the first time. It takes more than determination, but we do need that determination. We need to persevere through those temptations. To back off as Christians is not going to help us. To back off as a Christian and not fight and not persevere and not push through is not going to do anything for us in our Christian lives. We need to persevere. John F. Kennedy said, don't pray for an easier life. Pray to be a stronger person. And that's exactly what, Don't pray for an easier Christian life. Pray to be a stronger Christian. That's why God allows us to go through the difficulties. That's why God allows us to go through the trials. That's why God allows the devil to tempt us. That's why God allows the devil to, to make us fall sometimes. Right? Now, we, we have a choice. We, we give in or we, or we don't give in. It's not the devil that makes us do it, contrary to popular opinion. The devil made me do it. No, he tempted you, yeah, but you're the one that made you do it. And a lot of times, it's because we're trying to do it in our own strength. We need to persevere through difficulty, but also, we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Go back there, if you would, in verse number 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The second thing, if we're going to live a life that's pleasing to God, is that we need to preach Jesus Christ. Preach Christ, not ourselves, See, the devil is no match for the Lord, and he knows it, which is why he tries to keep the minds of men and the eyes of men blinded to the truth. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 that the whole point of why he was doing what he was doing is to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that's in me. Their minds are blinded. That's why they're, they're doing that, the things that they do. Their eyes are blinded. That's why they're doing the things that they do. But our business is to preach Jesus Christ, not ourselves. 
See, self was not the matter or the goal of the apostles' preaching. They didn't give their, their own notions. They didn't give their own private opinions. They didn't give their passions and prejudices. They preached Jesus Christ. And that's sometimes we get, we, we get passionate about certain things. A lot of times it's politics, and, and I get it. There's so many things going on in our world today that, that we need to make sure we get the right candidates in office and everything else. But we get so passionate about some of these things that in the long term do not matter. We need to preach Jesus Christ. You want to see the political scene turn around? Give them Jesus Christ. You want to see people, you, you want to see people turn their lives around and start going in the opposite direction? Preach Jesus Christ. That's what they need. They don't need to be convinced of conservative ideals and all, that, all those kind of things. Great if they are. And that's, I mean, I think anybody that's a genuine Christian is going to have conservative ideals. Oh, yeah. But that's what they need is Jesus Christ. They don't need to have their mind convinced of all these other things that are going on. They need Jesus Christ. That's what they need. And if we're preaching Christ, then they will come around to the right ideas. They will come around to vote for the right people. We will put the right people into office. We get so focused on the things that don't matter when what we should be doing is preaching Jesus Christ. They weren't seeking to advance their own secular interests or their own glory. And that's what the problem with so many religions today. It's all about lifting up a man or making some religious institution uh, or pastor rich. That's also the problem with a lot of Christians today, by the way. We're seeking for things that only benefit us. And I, our church is growing, obviously, but when we, were, when we were only a couple years old with a handful of people, we'd have people come in and they would look around at our church and they say, well, you don't have this ministry that we want and you don't have that ministry that we want and you know, we're looking for a place that actually has all of these other things that are really just going to be handed to us on a silver platter. They didn't say it that way, but that's what they meant. And you know, First of all, when did it become all about you? But number two, the thing that I always thought of is, if you don't stay, how are we ever going to have people that are going to be able to do those ministries? And how about you stay and get that ministry started? If that's what you want to see in a church, this is a young church plant. Get involved. Get busy. Do something for the Lord. It's all about, it becomes all about us. Well, they can't serve me the way that I want to be served, and so I'm just going to go find a place who can serve me the way that I want to be served. How about let's see what I can do for the cause of Jesus Christ? Yeah, John F. Kennedy Day, I guess. Ask not what you can do for your country. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, right? And I think we can take that into the spiritual realm and say, ask not what, what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. Ask not what Christ can do for you, but what you can do for Christ. That ought to be our mindset. And when we're preaching Jesus Christ, that's going to be an easy thing for us. For the disciples, their business was to make their master known to the world as the Messiah, to make him known as Jesus Christ, the Savior of men, the rightful Lord, and they were trying to bring him glory. They didn't care about themselves, and they proved that by the fact that just about every one of them was martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine if you ask most pastors or most Christians in a church today to, to be martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ? Oh, it doesn't mean that much to me, right? I can guarantee you that that would be the answer of most Christians if you ask them if they would be willing to go to the stake for the cause of Jesus Christ. Most would say, oh, yeah, of course, until you get the stake out there and you're marching out there. And then, oh, it does, doesn't mean that much anymore, right? Preach Jesus Christ. All the lines of Christian doctrine center in Jesus Christ. And in preaching Jesus Christ, we preach all that we should preach. Now, there's other doctrines in the Bible and everything else, but all of them center on Jesus Christ. And when we're preaching Christ, then we'll, we'll, we'll intersect at all the places where it matters. Preach Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what I mean by preaching Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin. That's important. 
Somebody asked Larry King one time, if you could go back and ask Jesus Christ anything, what would it be? That's an interesting question. If you could go back and ask Jesus Christ anything, what would it be? You know what Larry King's answer was? He said, I would ask him if he was born of a virgin because that makes all the difference. And it does. It does. Because if Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, then he was not sinless. If he was not born of a virgin, then there was nothing miraculous about him. But I'd tell you that he lived a sinless life. I'd tell you that he died a horrible death at the hands of the, of, the, of the sinners that he had come to save. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, he came up out of that grave. Jesus Christ went back to heaven to prepare a place for those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I was just having a conversation with somebody, a Calvinist, by the way, who, who, who tries to make it say that only, only people who are chosen of God can accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know what they changed to make it say that? They changed that word whosoever. You can't say whosoever and then say that God only selected certain people to be saved. That's anybody, anybody that comes to God through Jesus Christ can accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with what I've done. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. It's not a creed or a religion that saves. It's Jesus Christ. It's not precepts or principles. It's Jesus Christ. We needed someone to rescue us in our sinful condition. And Jesus, in his willingness to die for us, went to that cross, gave his life for us on that cross, shed his blood for us so that we could accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, shall be saved. Amen. Not might, not hope so, not, well, I hope so one day when I get to heaven that I'll be able to get in there. No, whosoever call, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In the New Testament, that belief indicates more than just an intellectual knowledge. And there's so many people that know of Jesus with an intellectual knowledge. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he was a real person. I believe that he lived a sinless life and all of those things. That, that the Greek word for believe means adherence to, committal to, faith in, reliance upon, trust in a person or an object. That's what faith is. It's not just, oh, I believe that that chair will hold me up. Faith means I'll go sit in that chair. Not, I believe that Jesus Christ did die on the cross to, to, to pay for sin. I'm putting my faith and trust in him so that I know that if I accept him as my Savior, I can go to heaven when I die. That, that doesn't just involve consent with the mind. It also involves an act of the heart and the will. Belief is synonymous with faith. If I say that I believe it, then I'm willing to put all of my trust in it. I'm willing to put all my faith in that. And until we give up everything to Jesus Christ, ask him for forgiveness for our sins, and give our lives over to him, we cannot be saved. Perseverance through difficulty. Preach Jesus Christ the third way that we can live a life that's pleasing to God. And go back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 if you turned away from there. Practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. Verse number 2. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Simply put, if you say you're a Christian... Act like one. Practice what you preach. Oh, I'm a Christian? Then practice it. 
Well, I believe in Jesus Christ, then show it. Well, I'm a Christian, I'm a little Christ, that's what Christian means, right? Then why don't you act like it? Practice what you preach. People you work with ought to know that you're a Christian, not just because you tell them, but because you live like one. Your language ought to be different. Your actions ought to be different. Your jokes ought to be different. Your habits ought to be different. You ought to look different. You ought to act different. There ought to be something that sets you apart from the rest of the world. In fact, turn over to Titus chapter 2. One of the toughest tests of, of Christianity is authentic faith on our part. So many people, like I said, have gotten to the point where they know how to act in front of other people. But the Bible says this in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, peculiar does not mean weird. doesn't mean you have to be weird because you're a Christian. But it means there ought to be something different about you. Somebody ought to be able to say, what does he have that I don't have? What has she got that I want? Because whatever she has has changed her life. Whatever, he do, whatever he's doing is changing his life. I want it. If you just go in the world and you live and act like the rest of the world, what would ever make them want to become a Christian? Your life ought to be a lighthouse. Your life ought to be what makes other people say, whatever it is that he's got, I want it. That's what he's talking about, about being a peculiar people. doesn't mean you've got to be you know, the, 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 the crazy weird guy because you're a Christian. But there ought to be something that sets you apart. There ought to be something that says, I'm not like the rest of the world. Not for the sake of pride, not for the sake of, oh, I'm better than everybody else, but I'm a Christian, and I'm proud to be a Christian, and I want everybody to know I'm a Christian, and the way that I'm going to prove that is by living like one. There's a story that was told about a preacher who was catching a bus one day to go into the city, and, and he came to, onto the bus. He, he paid the bus driver a dollar. The rate was only 75 cents to actually ride the bus to wherever it was that he was going, and so the bus driver gave him his change back, and he gave him 35 cents. And the pastor went and sat down on his seat and didn't realize that he'd gotten 35 cents until he actually sat down there. And he started, you know, I mean, obviously, this is a little while ago. 10 cents doesn't mean a whole lot to us anymore, right? I found 10 cents out in the parking lot. Somebody probably dropped it and didn't even care, right? Was that yours, Brother John? Yes, sir. Uh, I'll give that back to you after the service. I want to be honest. Actually, get it from Alex. It's probably in his pocket. I pointed it out to him, and he picked it up. But anyway, 10 cents back, you know, back in the day was, was a decent amount of money, and so this pastor sat down and he saw the 10 cent error. And for a moment he sat, sat he thought about the situation. He said, I mean, it's, it's only 10 cents. I mean, not that big of a deal anyway, but you know what? The honest thing to do is to go back and give that 10 cents back to that bus driver. Right. So he walked back up to the front of that bus and he said, you actually gave me a little bit too much. Yeah, I, only, I was only supposed to get 25 cents back and you give me 35 cents back. And he gave that dime back to the bus driver and the bus driver said, I knew I gave you too much. I was in your church last Sunday, and you preached on honesty, and I wanted to see if you practice what you preach. I wonder, would we always pass that test? And maybe something as simple as giving change back or something like that, but it, it's, there's, there's a lot of things that are a whole lot bigger than that. The world is watching you. Your neighbor is watching you. Your family is watching you. The Lord's watching you. By the way, as your pastor, if I want you to jump a foot, I need to jump three, right? I ought, to, I ought to be an example to you. I'm held to a higher standard, but contrary, honestly, to what a lot of people think, I'm not held to a higher standard because I'm a pastor. That doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm held to a higher standard because I am to be an example to you of what you should be trying to be as a Christian. I'm not jumping three feet because, oh, well, I'm the pastor and you should be better than we are. No, 
I'm a Christian, and we're all Christians together. I'm jumping three feet when I'm trying to get you to jump one because I want you to get to the point where you're jumping three feet too. You should be. And so if I want you to get there, all I'm supposed to be doing is modeling that so you can get there too. Paul said that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1. Be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. Amen. Right? I'm supposed to be following Christ, but so are you. And so if I'm living as an example to you, it's not so I can say, well, I'm a pastor, so I should be a lot better than you are. No, you should be the same. We should all be on the same level. Right. We're all Christians. And we should all be striving to get to that point where we're all living as the best Christians that we can possibly be. Well, he's a pastor, so he ought to be doing those things. No, you're a Christian, so you ought to be doing those things too. Right. I'm not jumping three feet so I can show you this is what I ought to do as a pastor. I'm jumping three feet so I can say this is what you ought to be doing as a Christian. I want you to get to that point where God is pleased with every single thing that you do. And that affects every aspect of your life. It affects what you watch on television. It affects where you go. It affects the things that you can do and, and, and can't do. It affects those things. But it's not because, well, you're a pastor, so of course those things. No, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. We ought to be doing everything we can to live as Christians for the cause of Jesus Christ. And if I'm doing it, it's not because I'm better than you are. I'm doing it because that's where we all should be as Christians. We ought to be all striving to be everything that we can be for Jesus Christ. And if that means that I need to cut out anything but a PG-rated movie, then that's what you ought to be doing too. If that means that you ought to go on to IMDb or whatever thing is where it tells you what's in the movie and it, and it shows you that there's cussing in it, you ought not to put it in. If it shows you that there's stuff in there that's inappropriate, you ought not to put it in. Right. How can you bring that stuff into your house and expect to live as a Christian the way that God wants you to live as a Christian? Well, you're the pastor. How can you get up and preach on Sunday about those things if you're bringing it into your house? You're a Christian. How can you go out into a world and tell everybody you're a Christian when what you're doing behind closed doors would say everything but the fact that you're a Christian? Let's not have a double standard. I'm not, I'm not saying it because, oh, oh I, I can't live the life I want to live because I'm a pastor. And I, no, I'm not saying it for that. I'm saying it because I want you to be everything that God wants you to be. Amen. I want you to have all the blessings that God wants you to have because you're a Christian and you're trying your best to live for him. We're not going to be perfect, but we ought to be trying to be. Right. And if we're not trying to be, then we're missing the boat. Well, I'm not going to be perfect, so I'm, why even try? No, you ought to try. You ought to strive for that. You ought to strive to live for Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that it's vital to our witness of the gospel to live what we preach, or we are going to bring a reproach on the word of God. God takes seriously that call to practice what we preach. Someone said, your walk talks, and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. I know that's confusing, but that's exactly what it is. You can say all you want to about being a Christian. The way you walk as a Christian is going to prove whether you're really a Christian or not. Amen. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? No. No. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? There ought to be. We sang it this morning. I want to be more than a Sunday go-to-meeting Christian. I want a religion that thrills me every day. Saying amen to the preacher is fine. If all the week I let my light shine, I want to be more than a Sunday go to meeting Christian. Can you say that? Can you say that? Because it's only then that you'll be able to say that you practice what you preach. Lastly and quickly, 
Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Persevere through difficulty. Preach Jesus Christ. Practice what you preach. And lastly, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Pursue God's power, not our own. See, that's what the problem with most of us is. The reason we're not good Christians is because we're trying to do it on our own. We're trying to be a good Christian in our own strength, and it will never happen. You can get a, maybe a decent way. And again, you can fool a lot of people along the way in that process. You can make a lot of people think, well, that's a pretty good Christian right there. That guy, you know, he does this, and he does that, and he, he carries his Bible, and he dresses up for church, and he does this, and he does that. That's a pretty good Christian right there. But again, you get in your private life, and you're nowhere close. And the reason why is we're trying to do most of it in our own power. And it gets frustrating, it gets miserable, it gets tiring, and you quit. The amazing thing is not that God allows us to be saved. It's not that he commands us to be a genuine Christian, but that he gives us the power to do it. The fact that God says, you be a good Christian and I'll bless you. That's an amazing thing in itself. But the fact that God says, you be a good Christian and I'll bless you and I'll help you do that. How does it get any better than that? He wants to give us the power to be a good Christian so that he can bless us. What a system. Man, if you could go to work in a place like that, everybody would jump at that, wouldn't you? You know, I want you to succeed so we can pay you more, and we're going to help you succeed so we can pay you more. Sign me up. I'll, whatever that job is, I'll take it, right? And that's exactly what God wants to do with us in the Christian life. You be a good Christian so I can bless you. But here, I'm going to help you be a good Christian. But you have to trust me. You have to do it in my power. You can't do it in your own. You can't, you can't do it in your own strength. You've got you to rely on me. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I can do that? Do you trust that I can bring you to that point? That's what he wants us to do. So many people fail in their Christian lives because they're trying to please Christ in their own power. Every breath that you have comes from God. Every minute of your life that you live comes from God. Every blessing comes from God. Every fill in the blank comes from God. What makes us think that we can please God in our own power? If we can't even breathe without him. What makes you think that you can live a successful Christian life without him? Turn over to one last passage, Ephesians chapter number three. See, God wants to be glorified in your life. God wants to be lifted up by your life. And he'll give you the power to do it if you let him. Ephesians chapter three and verse number 20. Now unto him, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Why does he want to work through us? So that he can get the glory. And when we allow him to work through us, not only does he bless us, but he gets the glory through our lives. And we don't care about it. We're not concerned about it. On March 6th, 1987, a guy by the name of Eamon Coughlin was the Irish world record holder at 1,500 meters in the, in the sprint. He was running in a qualifying heat for the World Indoor Track and Field Championships. And just early into the race, he tripped and fell. People, their legs got tangled. He fell down. But he jumped back up. 
and even though he was way behind everybody else, he, he sprinted and, and he ended up very near the end. He looked behind, he was number three in line and he looked behind him and there wasn't anybody right, right near him where it was close, where he would possibly lose it. That he was just a heat. It wasn't, it wasn't the championships. All he had to do was get third place and he was moving on to the next, to the next round. And so as they ran, he, he finally had caught all the way up into third place and he looked behind him and there wasn't anybody really close and so he let up just a little bit. And what he didn't see was that there was a guy on his left shoulder where he didn't look. And he ended up getting passed, and he lost that race by 0.2 or two-tenths of a second. And he was out. He was no longer in the world championship. He was, he was not making it past. He ended up in fourth place. See, it's tempting to let up. Because, well, you know what? I may not be the best Christian out here, but I'm not as bad as all of those other people behind me. I may not have everything together. I may, I'm just trying to do enough to get to the next whatever. We turn around and we don't see the devil right behind us. And what we miss is that he's right there trying to distract us, trying to destroy us. And we get held back from being everything that Christ wants us to be because we're just trying to be good enough. Right. Good enough in this world is not good enough anymore. Maybe when everybody was moral, maybe when everybody still believed the Bible as the word of God and everything else, maybe good enough was okay. But in today's world, good enough is not good enough as a Christian. Right. We need to be everything that God wants us to be. We need to be everything that he has planned for us to be. We're all going to face things in life as Christians that make us want to quit. And I know the majority would say that they want God to be pleased with their life. How about you? Do you really want God to be pleased with your life enough that it will make you change what you're doing right now enough that it'll make you change the way that you're living right now do you really want God to be pleased with your life everybody would say it so few people are willing to make the sacrifices to actually do it are you saved has there been a time when you asked Jesus Christ into your heart has there been a time when you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and forgive you for your sins you repented of those sins, and you asked him to save you. But after that, have you given up on God? Given up on being a Christian? Persevere through difficulty. There's so much waiting for you when you become a servant of God. Are you preaching Christ? Are you sharing the message of the gospel? Are you practicing what you preach? There's something different about you that the world sees and notices and says, I want that. Are you pursuing God's power? Are you trusting him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through your life? He's provided us with everything that we need to succeed in the Christian life. He's promised us the power to succeed in the Christian life. If we'll just be willing to say, you know what? I can't do it on my own. How foolish would it be if after church you walked out to your car and you jumped behind it and you started pushing it down Broad Street? How foolish. Get in there and start it. You'll go a whole lot faster and a whole lot farther at a whole lot less effort, right? And yet, that's what we're trying to do in our Christian lives. We're trying to push our life forward for Jesus Christ. When if we would just give up to him, give over to him, let him take the reins, let him be the power behind it, we'll go a whole lot farther, a whole lot faster, and we'll be pleasing to God. Living a life that's pleasing to God is yours. Is yours. Because that's sure what God wants it to be.
Father, we love you. We thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the truths of the word of God. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be the Christians that you want us to be. I can only imagine what it would be like in this community if this entire church full of people were completely given over to you. We've got a lot of great people in this auditorium this morning, a lot of good people in the auditorium this morning. God, I wonder how many are totally surrendered to you. I wonder how many have given their lives over to be used completely by you, however you want to use it. If that means I need to go witness to somebody, I'll do it. That means I need to get involved in ministries, I'll do it. Whatever it is, God, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to live in your power. I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. And so, God, as I've already prayed a couple times this morning, if there is somebody that doesn't know they're saved, I pray that they get that taken care of. But for those of us who are, I pray that you'd help us to live a life that's pleasing to you so that we might be effective in winning this lost world for the cause of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We're going to have a time of invitation here. Uh, this is, this is where the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Oh, you might be sitting there saying, you know what? That's something that I need to change. That's something that I need to do different. That's something that probably I need to address in my life. And then the time comes for us to come and really make a decision for Christ. And we say, you know what? I'll, I'll get that taken care of. I'll do that when I get home. I'll get that taken care of. But you know what? I don't, I'm embarrassed. I'm, people are going to think that something's wrong with me. Number one, everybody's heads are supposed to be bowed. And everybody's eyes are supposed to be closed. So if they do see you, they're in the wrong anyway. But beyond that, if God's really speaking to your heart, what would hold you back? What would hold you back from coming up to this altar and making a decision for Jesus Christ? Look, I benefit nothing from you coming up here. I'm not standing up here counting heads, none of those kind of things. I want you to be what God wants you to be so that he can bless you, so that you can live a life in power. If God's spoken to your heart this morning, you need to be at this altar getting those things taken care of. If you're not saved, if you don't know for sure that if you died in this moment, you'd wake up in heaven, won't you get that taken care of this morning? Won't you come forward and just let me know? I need to know for sure that I'm saved. I'll take the Bible. Somebody can take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. But get it taken care of today. Don't live another moment unsaved. Don't live another moment powerless before God. Because unless Christ tarries, uh, we don't have a whole lot of moments left. Let's make them count for, for the cause of Christ. As the piano plays, if God's spoken to your heart this morning, invitation is open, you've come.